0: Welcome to another episode of I Saw What You Did. My
1: name is Millie DeCherico. I'm Danielle Henderson.
0: And yes, it is us. We are back again to talk about movies, as we always do. What's up? How you been? Uh, Doing okay.
1: Doing No, No house updates today because I've gotten some some overwhelming news that I don't want to talk about. (laughs) um, Oh, God. How are you doing?
0: I'm good. You know, just I'm hanging in there. I actually went to the movies again, and um, yeah, went to the movies again and um, fell asleep in it. So I don't know what to. I don't know what that means.
1: <laughs> so you ventured out in these COVID streets to see a movie and then just fell asleep. Yes. So, <laughs> what was the movie? What the hell? Oh my god!
0: It's like I don't even want to say it because it's outrageous. It's this movie called The Holy Mountain which was made in the 70s by this director, um, Alejandro Jodorowsky. So, you know, I'm not sure if anybody out here is a Jodorowsky fan or not. Um, I would be willing to venture that maybe some people haven't heard of him or maybe some people have only seen El Topo, which is kind of his, I would say maybe his most famous movie. It was basically the original Midnight movie. Oh, and, um, you know, it's kind of this like surrealist Western. But Holy Mountain um, is this <laughs> I don't even know what to say. It's this kind of like biblical um, allegory about religion and consumerism and capitalism. And it's like real hippie. It's real weird. But it's also just like, you know how it is with like certain films, like, you know, when you go in watching like a David Lynch film for Just as an example, right? Like when you go to watch like Eraserhead, you're like, okay, I know I'm in for a thing. I know that this isn't going to be this like necessarily like cohesive narrative experience. And like, (laughs) I'm probably not going to know what's happening. And that's fine. Sometimes you want that, right? Right. And sometimes when you do want that, it delivers in a really like big way. And sometimes it delivers in a kind of boring way. Now... (laughs) The Holy Mountain is not boring. It is, when it comes down to it, it's like an avant-garde movie that isn't boring. The editing is really quick. There's a lot of shit going on. Um, There's loud noises. There's bright colors. There's, like, gross shit happening. There's nudity. I mean, as a kind of non-linear sort of storytelling type of film, it is exciting to look at. So what I'm saying is that I shouldn't have fallen asleep in it. I should not have. But apparently that's what I did. And what time did you go? Okay, here's this. Here's another thing. The movie started at nine thirty,
1: which that's we're playing with fire there already.
0: Okay, thank you, because I don't know what's happening to me. I don't know if this is old age, but I'm like, yo, the later a movie starts, the less I can be all in on it. I just can't
1: completely. If I'm if I'm going to a movie that starts after 6 p.m., eh, I would say after 7 p.m. because yes. then when you figure, you know, going home, getting like the travel, all that you're home by like 10-ish. Any movie that starts after 7 p.m., I really have to think about it. Like is it really is it really something I want to see enough to fuck up my circadian rhythms?
0: Okay, exactly, because if we if you do the math and you assume that if a movie starts at like seven ish, seven thirty at the latest, if it's a two hour film, which most films these days are two hours, right? We talk right. about this all the time, like even fucking, you know, buddy comedies are like over two hours long. Um, exactly. you're out of there by like ten at the latest, I would say. And that's including like fucking, you know, the commercials at the beginning, the trailers, all the jazz that comes before. So you're like, OK, so like 730 to 930 ish, maybe 10 ish at the latest is doable. Yeah. But a movie starting at 930 means that no. time gets moved up. And I'm like, I'm getting out of there at like midnight.
1: Mm. If I'm on a on a regular day, I go to bed at 8 p.m. Like <laughs> even us recording. Yes. At 8 p.m. I'm like, oh, man, like this is so late. I'll I love it. I'll do it. <laughs>
0: This is the the activity of the day for me.
1: Completely. This is all I'm doing today and I had to take a nap to make sure that I could this is this is my my recording day. I work, then I take a nap and then we at least for an hour and a half so that we can record because if I don't take that nap, I'm fun to fall asleep. Listen. It's a shock.
0: I mean, we're going to maybe talk about like our lives as young people in this episode maybe. <laughs> But it, in my younger days, motherfucker, I was, like, not going out. I was not leaving the house until, like, 11 p.m. Thank you. Right? Thank you. Because if you showed up at a club before 10, but really before, like, 11... you were not having fun it was like no one's dancing no no one's drunk
1: there's like nobody there the only reason to show up at a club pre 11 p.m is so that your goth friends could have enough space to practice their like sweeping moves (laughs) and just have a and just record you know just request echo on the fucking bunny men and practice their moves (laughs) for an hour before everyone else got there but i also feel like i know I've I've known this this part of my life was coming for a long time because during those younger days, during those club days, I was always anxious when we're like, oh, we're going to leave at like nine. And then we didn't leave till midnight. Ugh. And I'm like, we're missing three hours yeah. of shit. And it wasn't like we were pre-gaming or anything. We're just like hanging out. Yeah. And I'm like, well, if we're going to hang out, let's just hang out. Yeah. And Because
0: that's the other thing, too. You don't want to get there too late because then you do yeah. experience that whole like, oh, fuck, like. That feeling of dropping it at midnight or after midnight and everybody's already trashed and most of the like big drama of the night has already happened. You're like, damn, if I had just gotten here a little bit early, I would definitely know that so-and-so made out with so-and-so's boyfriend and this girl did too much coke in the bathroom and this person
1: is wasted on the floor and like having drinks poured on them. That was my whole life in northern california I was waiting for my friends who were drunk and high to get going getting there there by the time we got there they were already high and drunk enough that they were having a great time no matter where we went if we went to a club if we went to the garbage depot like they would have a great time no matter where we went look i've never been a partier i've never figured out how to do it well mm. but I, I i do believe that there are certain times that the very delicate balance when you're going out to dance or going out to drink with your friends you can't arrive too late you don't want to get there too early
0: yeah it is definitely a balance and now you're just falling asleep (laughs) having said any of this yes i fell asleep in a movie in a cool surrealist 70s counterculture
1: movie i fell asleep What, what do you think like what what were the criteria that you think happened so that you were able to fall asleep in a psychedelic, loud (laughs) (laughs) seventies movie. And what I'm guessing is a mostly empty theater. No, it was actually
0: pretty crowded, which is even more embarrassing because I was just sort of like, there's like, you know, it's like, there's all these cool people that are showing up and they're fucking, you know, everyone's like kind of hip or like wearing their like, you know, good vibes, only clothes and shit. And I'm like this grandma who ordered a giant popcorn. I, the popcorn that I ordered was so humongous (laughs) and it was just for me, my friend, Vanessa, who, who, first of all, okay. Old people, like we talked about in the episode where we talked about showing up to the party. I think it was the, um, episode about California where I was like, I'm driving myself. So I went, technically went to the movie alone because two of my friends also went and they all drove. We were like, after 9.30, start time, we cannot be responsible for anybody's ride. Let's drive three nope. cars to this movie theater.
1: <laughs> let's increase our carbon imprint. Fuck it. <laughs> Fuck it. Because I think we
0: were all on the same page. Like, we just didn't want to, like, God forbid you have to sit through something that you don't want to sit through because you don't want to ruin yeah. it for somebody else, right?
1: Or also, God forbid, somebody's like, let's go out for drinks after this. Yes. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. Go. <laughs> but-
0: uh-uh. So it was just embarrassing because it was just this thing where like it was this big spectacle and there was so many cool people there. And then I'm just like this giant weirdo in the back with a giant popcorn. I did the thing where I, I take, I got the giant popcorn and then I buy the peanut M&Ms and then I dump the peanut yeah. M&Ms in the, in the, it's my move. So I had like plenty of movie theater, popcorn and sugar. So I don't understand what happened. I think it was just because I was I went to dance class that morning. Well, there you go. And I was exhausted from simply doing exercise. So I had woken up early on a Saturday to go exercise. And then after class, I was like running errands and like, you know, I was like doing all this stuff. So I think I just Mm -hmm. had a
1: full day. Right. And, And you did. I'm not hearing anywhere in there that you took a precautionary nap.
0: No, I didn't. I didn't do a disco nap, which is... Fatal flaw. Big time. And I should have, but it's just what... I was just doing stuff. I just was... You're busy. Right. But I'm telling you right now, if the movie had started even an hour earlier, I would have made it because I was fine the first hour. The second hour of the movie is when I was starting to, like, you know, nod off a little bit.
1: And look, I got to say... I can totally understand how this happened. You had a busy day. You had a, a, a physical morning and then a busy day. And then you're full of carbs and sugar. You're crashing, baby. You're crashing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, movie popcorn has not been part of the daily routine for over a year and a half. You got to ease back into that shit. <laughs> you got to start small.
0: I mean, th- one of the most embarrassing things I think I'll ever take with me To the grave is the idea that I watched a movie where a guy takes a shit in a in a glass pot and they boil it. Is that what happens in this movie? Of many things, yes. This is what happens. This this is what
1: you fell asleep during. (laughs) I
0: was nodding off to a fully formed turd being boiled over the course of several minutes.
1: I know. Look, I know we've had this discussion on the podcast before about whether or not we are both bitter and or middle aged. (laughs) I got to say right now, welcome to middle age. (laughs) You fell asleep while a turd was being boiled. Welcome to middle age. That is the line of demarcation.
0: God, what I have lost all edge I have I have no edge whatsoever it's crazy and so what ended up happening was I fucking left I left the film and I like I remember I like touched the knees of my two friends that I didn't even have to say a word that's what old people do old people know the old people move so I didn't even have to be like I'm leaving I just touched someone's knee and they were like got it see ya
1: Oh, shit. You're like, look, I'm literally tapping out. I'm touching your knee. That is a universal symbol. Like a shoulder, a knee, like I'm literally tapping out here. I cannot do it.
0: They saw me pick up the remains of this giant popcorn I had ordered for myself. And then I just
1: touched a knee and then they were like, say no more. They knew what the rest of your night was. The rest of your night was a handful of popcorn in the car on the way home. Maybe you get inside, jammies on within 10 minutes of getting in the house. Exactly. If you had makeup on, you took it off. you They knew you were going to be asleep within 20 minutes of leaving that theater. Oh,
0: God. Oh, my God. It just was so, so sad. But you know what? Like... <laughs> i've learned this lesson like and this is the thing is that sometimes i pretend that i'm not this person like i pretend that i'm like oh i can go to a midnight movie oh i can do like a 9 30 movie i mean shit i introduce midnight movies at the film festival that i work at for my everyday job so I i program things after midnight i should be this fucking person that's able to watch holy mountain at 9 30 p.m but i'm not and i have to just admit it to myself finally and just deal with it simply deal with it
1: i think it's a badge of honor i think it's a sign of evolution like you you have leveled up you're you've almost reached your final form (laughs) i absolutely love it And look, I stopped doing midnight movies years ago because the last movie I remember falling asleep in after waiting for tickets and going through all the bullshit. And then it was a midnight movie was the first fucking Lord of the Rings movie. (laughs) And I was like, you can keep your eye of Sauron. You can keep your fucking walking trees, which weren't until the next one. I know nerds calm down, (laughs) but like you can keep all of this shit. As soon as Gandalf was like on the horse and they were leaving for the trip, I was out. Yeah, <laughs> I was out. That's like an hour into a three hour movie. And I was like, peace, they're on the journey. I'm going to call me when they're done. Like, I will wake up and figure it out. I'll catch it again. There's two more movies. I'll see it before the next two movies come out. I'm tired. I'm. It's 1 a.m. Yes. And this movie's not going to be done till 3 a.m. <laughs> And at that point, I had like three jobs and I was just like, I'm not this person anymore. And it's fine. Oh, my God. I, so in L.A., L.A. is, you know, obviously
0: well known for these kind of like crazy all night film festivals. I mean, there's one at the New Beverly every year. Um, they do a lot at the Egyptian. And I remember like a while ago I went to this is obviously Pre-COVID. So is that a while ago or many years ago? I don't, I don't know <laughs> what the time frame ago. is. Um, I went to this thing where they played five David Cronenberg movies.
1: Oh, I remember that shit. Cause you saw, Dave, I was like, you're seeing a David Cronenberg movie in the morning. Oh, yeah. And you're like, oh, I'm seeing them all day.
0: Oh yeah. And I'm telling you, like the first one started, I don't know if the first one started at 9.30 AM or 11 AM. All right. It was the middle of the day. It was the middle of the fucking day. And I could only make three and a half. That's all I could do. (laughs) Because I was just like, I don't know. I'm sitting in the dark. It's super cold in here. I'm like subsisting on like snack foods, not a real meal, just snack foods. And I remember like at, at a certain point. I looked at our friend, Jenny Nixon, who does a uh, museum of home video. I remember I looked at her cause she was there and I just was sort of like, I'm fading. It's oh, I'm <laughs> watching dead ringers and I think I'm just done. Like, I think I'm just done. And, uh, it had already been like three movies and i just was like, I'm just going to sneak out of this. I- I've already paid. I've already paid. These people have my money. They have had
1: my support. I just simply have to stop. You know what I mean? I again, these are these are just tiny badges of honor that are working <laughs> up to this final badge. Like you earned all these little Girl Scout badges up till this last one where you fell asleep in Holy Mountain while a turd was being boiled. <laughs> You've been in training for this moment for years <laughs> and it happened. And I'm so glad that
0: <laughs> <laughs> my my youth, if my youth had a tombstone, it would say here lies Millie de Chirico fell asleep while watching a guy take a shit in a (laughs) glass pot it's just wood i can no longer pretend i am not this person it's who i am
1: i'm i'm making tcm business cards for you that say that (laughs) like the title is no longer on there just (laughs) millie jericho fell asleep watching someone take a shit (laughs) in a movie theater
0: oh lord i swear
1: I feel like we have we have people in our uh, our pod team who have good falling asleep at the movie stories too.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say, Annalise, are you there? Oh, I'm. I
2: am. I'm here.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned you mentioned that you have a good falling asleep at a movie story, so we want to hear it.
2: It's more just like you know, you're just like, how did this happen? Like you started screenings at midnight. Like you were the one in charge of this. And suddenly you're like, what is my life now? I think it's more of just like a reflection of that. Cause I was always the one like getting my friends together to go to midnight screenings. Mm -hmm. And then I knew it was over. I was, it was like, and I was like 25 or something. It was like whenever, whenever (laughs) the dark Knight rises came out, (laughs) and I had a coffee, I had everything. And that's like a loud ass movie. Yeah. And I was dead
1: going off every five seconds, (laughs) literally
2: every five (laughs) seconds. And so I now like, it is a joke. Like my friends are always like, you're not going to stay awake. It doesn't matter what film it is. But here's the funny thing is that back in 2011, I remember my, my best friend was like, hey, the new uh, or the, the remake of Wuthering Heights is out. Do you want to go with me? Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm really, t- I, I barely slept last night. This is a bad idea. This is the worst possible film to see in my state of mind. <laughs> I went, you guys, I was awake the whole time. Wow. And I think I cracked the code of my brain. And this is why I want to talk about this because it's so weird to me. The fact that if there are explosions happening, My brain cannot process it, but you give me like a single dew drop on an English leaf. I'm awake. I don't know what it is. It
0: must be like white noise. Like it must be like the bombs (laughs) are like a white noise machine. That's like sleeping you away. Like it's a lullaby. Yes. Whereas actual gentle visions and
2: sounds are like stimulating. Yes. Em- emotional tension. That's the stuff that keeps me engaged. And I think that's what's so hard is like, I love Marvel films, yeah. but I literally, my window to watch these films, it's like between two and 4 PM. I, I, <laughs> oh, I tried to go see black widow last week. And I like, I was up for maybe 45 minutes at a screening that started at eight fifteen PM. Like who is not I'm good.
1: telling you, there's not a single person who works with this podcast who has any business going to a movie after seven PM. <laughs> <Yes.
2: laughs> yeah, it's and it's, we yeah. all know
1: it. <laughs> but I do agree with you there, Annalise, that um when you're forced to pay attention to a movie. It's very different from being bombarded by sound and noise and imagery because I feel like not only can I zone out to that, I should zone out because yes. it's like overwhelming.
0: Oh my god. Well, now I don't feel so bad. Yeah, like, not at all.
1: <laughs> thank you for telling us your, your your how the how you cracked the code. <laughs> oh my Happy god. Happy
2: to share my the the stories of my my slumber with with everyone. So. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Thanks.
0: <laughs> thank you, Annalise. Annalise are amazing engineer they're the best thank you so much well but honestly here's the here's the thing if you have a story what's the most outrageous movie that you've fallen asleep to if you just have a story about falling asleep in a movie that's funny please email us at
1: oh i saw what you did pod at gmail (laughs) i thought you were gonna say i thought "Ah!" it was too but then i was like no i shouldn't (laughs) i should just like but then i saw the lights going out and i was like let me jump in (laughs) let me see let me save my home girl here
0: well honestly I would be curious to know um there have to be great stories out there because I everyone has fallen asleep during a movie
1: yes everyone cool has
0: <laughs> I mean come on people uh, actually you know as Annalise was speaking I was sitting here thinking honestly the best time for me to watch a movie is in the morning now
1: I have done so many of our double features in the morning. Yes. And it's a whole different world.
0: I mean, listen, I'm a morning person now. I'm alert. I get the coffee going. I I would watch a movie at 9.30 in the morning, not 9.30 yes. p.m.
1: So. It's, it's who we are now. Yeah. And speaking of who we are now, Ooh. let's think about who we were then Ooh. as we get into... Our theme for this week. Segway did it. Segway. Boo, boo, boo. (laughs) Ah, Boo. (laughs) Oh my God. This week's
0: theme is unstoppable. If you ask me.
1: Oh my goodness. So we decided. Way back when, when we were picking this theme, I just, I have such vivid and wonderful memories of us building our theme calendar. Yes. And this one made both of us laugh so hard. I will be so impressed if anyone guesses it. But our theme this week is the late fees cost more than the rental. (laughs) Because we couldn't just do a theme called video stores. That's not who we are. Right. Like when we did The Floor is Lava and people were guessing like the theme is volcanoes. Give us some credit, (laughs) y'all. It's never going to be just like a one word theme. Well, I shouldn't I shouldn't say that. We try to put a little more thought and effort into the into the theme than that.
0: Yeah, we like to think of ourselves as very complex and um, textured individuals. So it wouldn't just be video stores. But for the most part, people are pretty good at guessing. I mean, they've come up yeah. with some really
1: good guesses lately. Uh, I think they're on to us. For sure, which I love. I love that we're like in sync with people where they're like, I know what y'all are going to do with this. Yeah. And then they pick out the nugget and there they go. I love connecting with our audience that way. Yeah.
0: And sometimes they suggest themes that are like sometimes better.
1: And I'm always like, yeah. fuck. <laughs> like a lot. Like that's Shelley Winters. <laughs> the fuck boys episode, which was great, I still stand by the fact that we chose good fuck boys for the fuck boy episode. Yes, we did. But there were two people in the comments on Instagram who were like, "the see the theme is." Um winters or or shelly and winters and i was like fuck that's good and there was another one that guessed the theme leave shelly alone and i was like goddamn that's good too shelly's can't catch a break no shit shelly's can't catch a break
0: well i i appreciate all of the fucking whiz kids out there that are really guessing um but yeah if you guess the late fees cost more than the rental then you win And if you didn't, you didn't. Um, You came up with that because honestly, the idea of. So first of all, I want to ask you, have you ever worked in a video store or what are your memories of video stores?
1: Okay, I never, never worked in a video store. We did have a local video store growing up and it moved locations, but kept the same owner. And the first location, it was in kind of this um, this little building near the creek that runs through our town and It was always really weird to go in there because it's very small and cramped. They didn't have a ton of space. But then they moved to a spot under the clock tower in the middle of town. Mm. And that just was a little bit almost too heightened for what we were doing, like just a little bit too heightened to rent Bill and Ted's for the 10th time in a row. (laughs) But like the video store was my life. And because it was 80s, 90s, once the account was open, I didn't have to. I was I was a child. No one asked for I.D., No, they just let us rent movies unless they were like, you know, super duper R-rated pornos or something like X-rated pornos. Mm -hmm. We could rent anything. It was just like the library where it's like, here's your library card. Go ahead and do what you want to do. So I loved going to the video store. And then as an adult, video stores were a huge part of my life until at least in my mid, almost late 20s. Yeah. Because, you know, DVDs, even when DVDs became like a thing, I didn't jump on that train right away because I still had so many video cassettes at a huge library. So, yeah, I love a video store. I've, I've experienced everything from the rude video store clerk who will not answer any of your questions and thinks you are an idiot to the overly friendly video store clerk who recommends things that are so bonkers because they just want someone to talk to To like the middle of the road, mom and pop who are just like, give us your three dollars. We're trying to send our kids to college.
0: Yep. Yeah. Love
1: video stores. Miss them greatly. Oh, my God.
0: I miss them, too. We still have one here in Atlanta. The wonderful, great, epic video drone, which I worked at briefly. So I have actually worked in a video store. Um, But uh, yeah, honestly, video stores were my entire life. They shaped who I am, Um, you know, back from. The, my childhood, where my parents never took us to first run fucking movies because they were too cheap. <laughs> so they only let us rent like dollar videos at the local video store in my town, which was called Blackwell Video. Um, but then we also rented, we used to rent them from the fucking grocery store too. Yes. Yes. That was a big deal. That was a big deal. And then eventually when I, moved downtown (laughs) when you make the move downtown there was a video store i actually wrote about this i did a a piece for a24s um blog maybe like a few years ago i was about kind of my video store memories and stuff but so i hope if, if anybody's read that i'm repeating what i wrote so i'm plagiarizing myself
1: if you haven't read it you should because it's a beautiful piece oh, of writing thank
0: you very much but uh, and that's not a plug for my writing i'm just saying i'm gonna repeat something that's already on <laughs> so um but there was this video store called Blast Off Video that was in Little Five Points, which was kind of the, like, St. Mark's place or something of Atlanta, right? Right. And the whole fucking vibe of that place, like, set me on a path. Because it wasn't just the movies there, which the whole the whole video store was essentially, like, You know, anything that was like esoteric, weird, transgressive. Um, They did, a you know, some independent stuff, you know, kind of these like big kind of indie directors. But for the most part, it was all just like cool, trash, psychotronic underground. That's great. Yeah. And it was the guy that owns it looked like a 60s fucking mop top rocker.
1: He looked like, (laughs) see, this is. This is key because this is something that I don't think comes up enough when people reminisce about video stores or have nostalgia about video stores. The owner was the gatekeeper. Oh, my God. So what they had in that store, their tastes were what was available to you. Absolutely. So like the mom and pop shop that I used to go to in town, they didn't have esoteric stuff. They didn't they weren't, you know, fucking with. Robert Altman and Whit Stillman. It was just like what you could get. And then the only way you can get that stuff is by what one of our movies mentions today by special order. But you had to know what you wanted. (laughs) Mail order.
0: That's oh my God. We could do an entire episode about mail order video catalogs from our youth. Yes. Um, And actually to the original point of our two movies, there are two video store owners in these, Films which are very interesting, and I'm sure we'll talk about them. But guy, the guy that ran blastoff Video, Sam, a total legend. I mean, he just—it was the kind of thing where, like, he was the first like kind of bohemian guy I ever met. Like, he burned incense in the fucking video store. They were showing like Betty Page films and like Russ Meyer movies like on the screens in the video store, and it was like this little hole in the wall video store in an alleyway. And it was my everything. It totally made me who I was. And so by the time I worked at a video store, I was already like much older and I felt like, okay, now I'm in this position sort of where I'm, I'm the guy that I went to and how am I going to handle this responsibility? But the, the issue is is I want to
1: know. That's what I want to know. What kind of clerk were you considering all of this in your background? Well, I'll tell you right now, I was not a
0: clerk in the high video store era. So it's kind of null and void. Right. I was I, I worked in a video store within the past like 10 years. So it's like the Internet happened. And I feel like I mean, I think that's the big part of what video store culture is about is sort of like a it's a pre-internet meeting spot for people who like shit and you have that's a very powerful role in that era that's a powerful role the one thing that i did as a video store employee was i was real judgy about people's activities on accounts so like we had this little kid who would come in. He was probably in his early 20s, who was always renting under his ex girlfriend's account.
1: Oh, uh uh-uh. uh, police that,
0: police that. And I remember specifically like telling him to his face, I was like, be a man and get your own video account. Like, <laughs> don't keep renting under this ex girlfriend. And then, The shocking part was that he was renting with the new girlfriend under the ex-girlfriend's account. And I was like, this motherfucker needs a lesson. And I told him that I told him straight up. I was like, don't come in here renting under the ex's account with your new girlfriend. Get your own account. It's
1: free. Did you say that in front of the new girlfriend? Because that's epically good
0: no i didn't say it in front of her because i wasn't trying to be super embarrassing but i said it to him like when he came in i was like look get your own account dude (laughs) so if i wasn't able to judge their taste i was able to judge you know the the their ethical choices when it came to the (laughs) but i'm so excited to talk about these movies oh my god me
1: too and look i i am going to have to make a federal case for mine being included in the late fees cost more than the rentals because but I will do it. I will do it. I I I might have been reaching a little bit with with my choice, but I'm going to justify it. No,
0: absolutely it is absolutely a part of this canon because there's so many things about that video store I want to talk about. Okay, good. And I know that it's not like the center of the film, but by God, it's a part of that story and I will defend that shit with you. So That's Thank you. That's what friends are for. Am I right?
1: Well, this is that just warms my goddamn heart because <laughs> I'm just going to get right into yeah, it. You're going
0: first. Woo. Get,
1: get ready to help me defend this. <laughs> my movie <laughs> was released in 1987. It was directed by Joel Schumacher and written by Jan Fisher and James Jeremias. And my movie is The Lost Boys. Michael and
0: Sam have just moved to Santa Carla, California. They're about to discover its secret. Oh,
1: my God. Damn. This movie. Damn. I'm getting into it. We're getting into it because I have not watched this movie from start to finish since I was a child. Yes. And I know this was this was a big this was a heavy hitter in our bracket. Is it good or was I horny? It was was a generational divide, a kind of a movie. It was a splitter. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Splitter. Split the audience. (laughs) And I'm just going to come out up top and say. This movie is so fun, and I'm so glad I got to watch it again at 44, but this movie is not good. <laughs> it is so fun. It is not good. I almost had the exact same words written down in front of me. <laughs> I cannot believe how popular the persistence of this movie I can
0: and I can't, but you know what? Like I am with you. I'm with you.
1: Thank God you're with me so far because I was just like, I got to come out up top and say it. I can't, I can't talk about this movie without talking about how bad it is, but how fun it is. Yeah. is. I'm going to give a little synopsis for those who may not have seen it or haven't seen it in a while. I'm going to give you a one sentence synopsis. Mm-hmm. All right. So we have a recently divorced mother moves Her teen son's in with her lovably deranged father, only to find out that the coastal town is infested with teen vampires on motorcycles.
0: (laughs) Teen vampires on motorcycles is a Russ Meyer movie, maybe.
1: (laughs) It's a hidden gem. It's an unseen classic. This also I was going to do another one sentence synopsis. Which I think aptly sums up this film, which is a single mom tries unsuccessfully to go on a date. Yes. (laughs) Just depends on your angle, you know. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Love it. So we're going to talk about a couple things up top. First and foremost, we got to talk about Santa Carla. So this movie was filmed in Santa Cruz. Mm -hmm. And... Again, the director is Joel Schumacher, who has given us such classics as DC Cab, Incredible Shrinking Woman. And he's the person who gave Batman nipples. Yes. On the suit. Absolutely. 100%, uh, a hundred le- percent. A legend in my mind for that. Oh, a true legend in so many ways, which you were blowing my mind with before we started recording. Everybody go read about Joel Schumacher.
0: Just re- read the Wikipedia, read the IMDb trivia or whatever just go and just do like a real light research of jewel schumacher because he's so interesting he's worked in film forever um you know he has passed he he passed like kind of recently like within the past like five years i think he had his hand in a lot of fucking great movies of the 70s and 80s and then he started directing and he directed like the batman movies that everybody thinks are like contentious or you know the flops and i'm like fuck it they're genius to be honest like
1: (laughs) i mean far be it for me to place a hierarchy on batman movies from the 80s and 90s but again i will say and this is something that i think could be said for a lot of his career they were fun yes they were fun goddamn movies.
0: Yeah. And he was a gay director that made Batman gay, put nips on the fucking suit, got got a lot of buns shots. Hello. This is, to me, this is what I like. He subjected Batman to the male gaze. Absolutely. Absolutely heroic. Yeah.
1: For that, for that alone.
0: Well, and his career is great. You guys need to really research. And he's had a he had a really interesting life, a really interesting childhood. It's just there's a lot to discover with Joel Schumacher. So I just encourage everybody to do it. But yeah, he made the fuck
1: out of this movie. Am I right? He truly did. He went (laughs) ham on this movie, (laughs) starting with where it was set. So this movie, again, filmed in Santa Cruz, Santa Cruz Boardwalk area. But the town is called Santa Carla. And here's what you need to know about Santa Carla. As soon as you arrive, based on how we've seen this family arrive, and again, real quick, the cast, Jason Patrick playing Michael, teenage son, Corey Haim playing Sam, kind of a teenager son, Diane Wiest plays Lucy. So as soon as this family starts rolling into town, what's the first thing they see? A woman French kissing a rat. (laughs) Here's Santa Carla. A woman French kissing a rat
0: <laughs> i it was really like I, I I've been to the Santa Cruz boardwalk before. I mean, it is like a circus. It's just like any boardwalk yeah. you've ever been to. It's like going to Venice. It's like you've got like weirdos, freaks, goths, you know, a lot of All like kinds. street you know, people who are like carrying around exotic animals and that kind of stuff. But like, yeah, kissing a rat,
1: look, you drop into any city. With a boardwalk and you're like, I wonder where I can see someone dangling cinder blocks from their nipples. (laughs) You're going to the boardwalk. (laughs) That's where you're going to see it. And Santa Carla is no different. Also, as soon as Michael there, they're walking the boardwalk again, just kind of getting the feel for this town. And he says to someone, are there any jobs, like any jobs in the area? And the guy replies, nothing legal. Are you now getting in your car and driving away? Well, are you like, mom, sincerely talk us through your decision to come here. (laughs) French kissing a rat. You have any jobs? Nothing legal. Okay, I gotcha. Also, Santa Carla is the kind of place where you can buy a leather jacket, because when you want a leather jacket, where do you go? The fucking boardwalk next to a beach, which is always associated with being hot and sweaty.
0: (laughs) That truly has it all. If if you want to become a local badass just go to the boardwalk you can get your ears pierced you can get your leather jacket
1: (laughs) you can dangle a cinder block from your tongue (laughs) and then just pick up the love of your life and go home and have tons of babies with teased mullets This place is incredible. And you get the feeling it's it's being people are being hunted right off the bat. Yeah. There's lots of sweeping shots from the air, you know, showing the the movement of vampires uh as they swoop down to kind of catch their prey. But then let's go we'll go a little bit more into the movie because this is where I'm going to start to make my case for the video store. Before we get to the vamps. I'm going to save the vamps maybe even for last because I think the video store is more important than the vamps. So the video store that Lucy goes into as she's again cruising the boardwalk. She sees this little kid. He's lost his mom and she helps him find his mom. And the video store owner is like so taken with her kindness that he offers her a job. And the video, the guy that owns the video store, it's the grandpa from Gilmore Girls. Yes, it is Ed Herman, rest in peace, King, <laughs> who is, was the, played the Richard, the grandfather on the Gilmore Girls for our younger generation of listeners. Sure. But he was the video store. He's the kind of video store owner where he had the flock of seagulls swoop. He had a pair of clear glasses on. He had a shoulder pad in a jacket. Like he was kind of like that kind of 80s cool guy sort of look that he was affecting. But he's also very tall. yeah. So whenever like very tall people dress incredibly trendy, I always think it's like part of a show or a costume or something. (laughs) And I'm including myself in that. I'm six foot tall. (laughs) Yeah. His video store. So let's talk about it. Oh, my God. (laughs) Tell me everything you think about this video store. It is a true 80s video store. Yeah. In every sense. So
0: this so this video store, it's like it's it's on the boardwalk. Um, but then it also it looks like it almost looks like I, I, I referenced this store Gadzooks uh, a lot on this podcast, which Danielle's never heard of. But like, I guess it was a regional store um, that was super trendy in like the eighties and nineties. That it was sort of like it had like. This this video store in the Lost Boys had like neon squiggles. It looked like fucking Gadzooks meets the store that everybody works at in Facts of Life. what's it called over our heads it was just this like so it kind of looked like a clothing store uh memphis style with like lots of like 80s squiggles but then it had like a giant kiss of the spider woman cut out i was just like this fucking video store and then the guy that owns it is him who looks like a trendy coke dealer
1: yes yes and it also reminded me like the turquoise of it and like the the pale the pale pastels and turquoise of it reminded me of like uh, that place where they used to eat and save by the bell.
0: Yes, the Max or like the Max or like the Peach Pit. Yes, it was oh my god, exactly. It had like a cafeteria vibe for some reason. Totally. I was very unclear about how the layout of this video store happened. It was packed as fuck. Tons of people, tons of traffic Free. in the video store. And then
1: The weirdest part is that he offers Diane Wiest a job. Thank you. In his trendy Coke dealer fucking Peach Pit store, he's looking at Diane Wiest, who, by the way, adorable, looks incredible. The best. But she's in like her Laura Ashley best, wearing a cardigan over a long floral dress and talking to a little kid like she's a kindergarten teacher. And he's like, you know who needs to work in my fucking neon squiggle store? Diane Wiest. Get her in here.
0: Is that a middle aged mom I see? Bring her into this video (laughs) store to work.
1: So weird. It was such a weird choice, right? Progressive. A progressive choice. I applaud you. And- freaking Herman rest in peace King <laughs> Apology for hiring the middle-aged mom who's in her Laura Ashley best in a flat in a flat on the beach she has a belted tunic sweater over
0: a floor-length skirt by the way
1: that's who you want in your store that's that's someone who will close up count your register and not take a dime
0: I I, now I only have mentioned this video store is staffed by middle-aged people. That's
1: That's a boardwalk video store would not survive in any other context. You hire one skater and your inventory is wiped out. But this is the other thing about this boardwalk that I love, because this moment where they're all kind of wandering around and trying to get their feel for what the new town is, the video store becomes crucial to the story primarily because the mom works there and then it becomes crucial in a very different way. So without the mom being out of the house, these kids would not have been free to become vampires.
0: (laughs) As it always (laughs) happens. Am I right?
1: Blame the mom, as always, right? (laughs) Very progressive of me. (laughs) But I do think it's like, you know, who's your prime target for becoming a vampire? A latchkey kid. No one's checking up on you. I could have become a vampire at any point in my youth. Agreed,
0: and I really this is the one thing about the movie too that really hit me this time because, like you, I haven't seen it from start to finish in a (laughs) long fucking time. Don't get me wrong; I have seen clips of fucking Tim Capello on stage many times, but have I seen it from start to finish? No, it's been a long time, and. I was like, the peer pressure that Jason Patrick experiences in this
1: movie is... Immediately. Totally disturbing. Totally. It is off the charts. Because we will soon come to find that this script relies heavily on people. I'd say 70% of the script is just people chanting, Michael... Like do it, do it, do it. It is seventy percent of the fuck. Please, Lord, give me a script like this where I can make millions in Hollywood, and seventy percent of the script is me just saying a name. (laughs) I'll take the money and run any day. So Michael is already and instantly in it because he and Sam, who is just wearing his Golden Girls best, I mean Corey Haim is dressed like B. Arthur in this movie in a way that I cannot even handle. (laughs) We got a linen jacket with a popped collar. My grandma used to wear that shit to Bingo when she went out with her friend Patsy. That is a B. Arthur outfit. But they're at this concert, because, you know, concerts just happen at the beach sometimes. Sometimes. And this concert is... Now, this is a band that's unique because the front man is not only wearing, like, wrestling spandex, no top, oiled up, and he has, like, a wrestling ha- wrestling hairstyle also, where he's got, like, very long hair, but the top is slicked back and pulled into a very tight ponytail. It is very rare that you're going to find a front man who is a singer and a saxophonist. Oof. It's a rarity. But somehow, that's what we got going on on the Santa Carla boardwalk. My cue to get the fuck out of there. I'm like, I don't need to see any more. I've seen a lady French kissing a rat. I've seen a pastel covered (laughs) video store staffed by entirely middle-aged people. And now I'm watching basically what amounts to Jake the Snake Roberts play a saxophone and singing a song about still believing and thrusting, thrusting with all his might. So
0: much has been said about this part. Of the Lost Boys. In fact, I think it's like the only part that people actually talk about when it gets down to brass tacks.
1: I think there's even like a John Hamm SNL skit about it. Oh, my God. I will
0: say this right now. I am legit obsessed with Tim Capello like his vibe in this movie is not a fucking joke to me he is selling it in a way that hasn't been sold in a long time in a movie and is fucking genius because the weirdest the, the style of the lost boys to me is really interesting because it's this like late 80s kind of it's almost like heavy metal goth industrial it's kind of like it's a lot of like revolutionary war jackets with like fucking long hair whips and chains and jewels and it's just sort of like it's just it's so the look is so heavy duty on all these fucking people like the vampires especially but tim capello yes high wattage shit going on his whole body is oiled, oiled oiled
1: Who's oil in your back? That is such dedication. Oh, my God. Do you have like an oil spit at home that you just like rub against? Like my cat has a um, a brush that I can attach to the corner <laughs> of a wall and he just like brushes against it to get his hair off. He's got like one of those for oil and he's like, let me get my back. Let me get my neck. Let me get my arms.
0: I, I just I just got to say he's he's just a fucking legend. He deserves every bit yes. of praise that he gets. He makes this fucking movie. His simple appearance in the film is what makes this movie for me.
1: Look, let's make sure that COVID hasn't taken our sweet prince, <laughs> rest in peace, King, preliminary. <laughs> and if he's still alive and performing, we are making this happen as soon as it's safe to go outdoors. <laughs> <laughs> COVID, don't take our sweet prince of sax, Tim Capello. But this this entire
0: concert sequence is so crazy to me because it's like yes there's lit fires happening. It's the (laughs) it's the moment that like Jason Patrick sees the Jamie Gertz character for the first time and is straight up scarily staring at her.
1: Instant stalker. Instant stalker he's like, oh I see a woman with a Stevie fucking Nick's glitter (laughs) belt skirt on that's Milady. she had such a 60s look compared to like the russian revolutionary look that the rest of the vampires had and i'm like that's how you know she hasn't been turned yet because she still has some color in her face but she's dressed like oh i might see people in the daytime
0: and like at first i was like truly shocked that he was Staring so hard Like I was like Yo This guy is staring Too hard And Jason Patrick Has beautiful Hypnotizing eyes So I get it But I was also like This is a little too much And it wasn't until later That I found out Oh it was cause You know She's You know Under the vampire Story The general story Of how vampires Operate They're supposed to be Like alluring And they're supposed to be Hypnotizing right. So then there was a moment I was like Well it's just cause She's fucking hanging out With vampires Where she's like Locking them in, but I still look like. If anyone looked at me at this concert like that, I would be like putting the fucking pepper spray in my hand, being like,
1: "Oh my god, I'm I'm dialing nine one and keeping my thumb over the the one." (laughs) Like, I will watch this concert, but I will always be also make sure that someone can get here immediately if I need them to. <laughs> he was being a creep and she just did her thing. She's like, Yeah, I'm gonna watch this concert. I know I'm hot, whatever, I'm doing my thing. And uh this is where we meet after the concert, he tries to chatter up. And this is where we meet the Kiefer Sutherland character mm. of David, which again. You're gonna be a vamp named David. I don't know why <laughs> that just fucks me up a little bit. What's your name? It's not like Nikolai or like fucking Boris. <laughs> yeah, my name's David. I'm Dave. I'm a vampire. Vampire it's Dave like a, down at the yeah, boardwalk. It's, like it's like a character from What We Do in the Shadows. Come <laughs> like, on, Dave. I vamp. Can't stop me. I'll bite your face right fucking now. <laughs>
0: Kiefer was working that mullet, man. Holy shit.
1: Oh, my God. The the best thing about this vampire gang, which consists of Alex Winter, Billy Worth, um, and Brooke McCarter. Um, the best thing about this vampire gang is that they automatically arrange themselves by the impressiveness of the mullet that they have. Yes. Like the mullet with the big T's bangs is always right behind David because David's the leader. He's got the most serious coat and the most intense mullet. So he (laughs) is the leader. And they just automatically line up that way. And then Alex Winter comes along. Alex Winter looks like a little doll. He looks like an American girl vampire. (laughs) (laughs) Just like a doll that you've let out sit outside in the snow for a season. He's just like so cute, but so withered. (laughs) I love this vamp gang and this vamp gang is not fucking around. They're like, hey, Michael, how about you come try to hang with us? And I'm going to try to run your bike over a cliff in the fog, which come on now. What kind of sense you have where you're racing motorcycles and mopeds in the fog in a new town with people who look like they could take you out at the knees? Go home, Michael, go home. Yeah, this is what I'm saying. The peer pressure was so fucking strong where
0: I questioned. I was like, yo, was Michael always like this? Like when he lived in Phoenix, was he this impressionable? Right. I was like, what the hell, dude? I'm like, you're a good looking dude. You don't need to be this much of a follower. I know these guys are technically vampires and are technically putting their vampire seduction on your ass. But honestly, don't
1: drive over a cliff for these guys you just met. Thank you. Also, you just got to town today. You're going to see this woman again. Calm down. It's the boardwalk. She's going to show up. Calm down. If you have to go every day and wait for her, you're going to see this lady again.
0: I mean, it's like the minute he saw her, he's like, where's the leather jacket guy? I gotta find the jacket. I gotta be these people this fucking like they and besides the fact that it's not even the right jacket it's like they're all wearing their fucking like sergeant pepper's lonely blood sucker fucking (laughs) jackets and he's just wearing like a motorcycle i'm like yo at least
1: get you a revolutionary war jacket like that they would like you fit the theme yeah yes fucking get some beads to jazz that shit up, get some old pins, go to the comic shop and get some fucking pins. Because this is also very cute and hilarious. While Michael's being peer pressured into almost ending his life, <laughs> Sam is in the comic book shop, kind of making new friends with the Frog Brothers. Ugh. So the Frog Brothers are played by Corey Feldman, who's Edgar, and his brother, Alan, who's played by Jameson Newlander, Edgar Allen Frog. Oh. I love it. <laughs> Who are these people's parents? (laughs) Their parents are fucking legendary. Cause if you go into that comic book shop and you see two adults constantly asleep behind the register, that's their parents, (laughs) which I never picked up on anytime I've seen this movie. So they're basically like these two kids running this comic book shop on their own. Because their parents are just like asleep in the corner. Talk about not being able to be out past 8 p.m. No shit. <laughs> Your comic book shop has no business being open on a boardwalk at 8 p.m. Yeah. If you're over 40. Hire a teen
0: if you suffer from narcolepsy do not own a video store and do not let your 14 year old son run it or whatever
1: however old he was because he will dress like rambo first blood he's gonna run it into the ground (laughs) and he does Corey Corey feldman dresses like rambo first blood for no reason his brother tries to do a very intimidating like steven bauer and gleaming the cube yes kind of like silent backup like i'll fuck you up guy but they're just they're kids they're actual kids Corey feldman is doing a disturbing deep for some reason he lowers his voice intentionally it is so distracting because <laughs> then you've got cory Haim and he's like mickey mouse like hey we're the same age and i still sound like this and Corey Haim's like i'm fucking one of the edgar allen frog brothers and this is how i talk like that was a, a decision Somewhere along the line. I don't know if he made that decision, but somebody made that decision. Oh, Lord. So the Frog Brothers are like, look, we're born and raised here. We're going to tell you like it is. This town is full of vampires. Defend yourself. And Sam is just like, okay, weirdos. And he bounces. But they bond because Sam also likes comic books. Yeah. So he's made two friends in this town. Meanwhile, Michael is out making friends by being peer pressured into drinking David's blood. <laughs>
0: Okay. This? Let's talk about this
1: vampire lair. Hey. Let's talk about this. I have like a full page of notes about this lair alone. First of all, nothing good is happening in a sunken resort. But more importantly, there's this little fucking kid that hangs out with them. <laughs> and nothing good is happening. If you belong to a gang of people where there's a little kid hanging out with you after 11 p.m., if you're a sibling and you brought your little sibling along because you have to babysit them, then you're being a bad sibling. If you're a parent, you already know this kid has a bedtime, get his ass home. And if you're the leader of a vampire gang, try to be a little more subtle. Don't be dragging this little kid around who's got missing posters up all over the place. This little kid is so weird.
0: Like, so weird. He's kind of like Chaka from Land of the Lost. He's just this like little (laughs) creature that runs around (laughs) everywhere. And and
1: he's also wearing one of these jackets. You know what I mean? I'm just sort of like, how are you getting a child sized Russian revolutionary (laughs) jacket out here in these fucking boardwalk streets? Again, be more subtle. You can't dress up a missing kid like fucking Rasputin. (laughs) Ah. <laughs> on these streets. David? <laughs> oh my god, this little kid. Every time, it, every time he comes on screen, I <laughs> scream <laughs> with laughter. He's so weird. He's so weird. So nothing's nothing good is happening in this lair. This lair has a big Jim Morrison poster <laughs> yeah. up. I was like, like, "Can we Oh my god, of course these vampires love Jim Morrison. <laughs> of course. They're like, "We are also possessed with spirits." <laughs> From a car crash we saw in the desert. <laughs> like, of course, that's someone that you fucking venerate in your sunken resort lair. <laughs> basically, basically, I, I mean, I look, I looked through my notes even before we recorded. And my basic thought is. I've never seen a movie with vampires who have so little taste. Yes. <laughs> they just have bad taste. <laughs> they look ragged. They got bad. They're choosing the wrong eras to to dress in in order to enhance their appeal. Yes. Like you won't have to, David, you won't have to mind meld me into thinking I'm eating worms and maggots if you just brush a tooth. Oh, God. Just brush a tooth. (laughs) Yeah,
0: that that maggot worms thing used to freak me the fuck out when I was a kid. Completely completely oh my god oh i
1: hate i still can't stand that, yeah. s- that oh, scene it makes yeah. my skin crawl but this is this is really what i want to talk about in this layer scene so michael becomes a vampire by drinking david's blood they give him this like real bejeweled like pewter vase kind of like you know those stores that sell like the pewter wizard holding the crystal ball <laughs> like it looks like that yeah. except it's got wine in it yeah So he drinks it, not knowing what it is, and they're all chanting Michael because that's half the script. (laughs) And then he's a vampire. I do not approve of changing the vampire mythology in this way. Yes. Because what we learn later on from Star is that he's only a half vampire, just like her and just like that creepy ass little fucking Rasputin kid because they haven't made their first kill yet. I don't approve of this mythology changing. You get bit by a vampire. Then you're a vampire. End of. Let's just figure out a way where these
0: people don't become full vampires. Like the kid, the protagonist, and the protagonist's girlfriend. We can't make them full <laughs> vampires because then we'd have to kill them.
1: And we don't want exactly. to kill these people. But we can kill these Sarch and Pepper guys all day. Exactly. So... We can stake them for sure, but we got to keep this love story going. (laughs) So we got to return this kid. Yeah, we got just half, half amp. Then we got to return this kid to his fucking parents looking like a feral squirrel (laughs) after he's been half vampire for like a half a year. You can't just go back to fifth grade after this shit. I'm very concerned about this child in this movie for some reason. (laughs) On this viewing, he became more empirically confusing to me than ever before. (laughs) but they are half vampires and it's just a bad decision and plus being a half vampire here's the thing that that also gets me so he goes michael goes back home sam eventually figures out that he's a vampire but all being a half vampire does is it gives you a shitty earring and a bad attitude (laughs) you don't have any of the powers like you can't do it you can't mind meld people you're just like hungry for blood and you're just kind of an asshole to people now. Like he just had a bad attitude and an earring. And that was the change to be in a half vamp. Give me a full vamp who can do some shit. I mean, if you if you have even a little bit of vamp in you, don't you immediately go to David and you're like, yo, I feel sick. I'm craving blood. Can you just make me a full vampire so I can get in this? Because this is a horrible limbo to be in. <laughs> It's like when I was, I, I was way too old when I realized like I used to never buy um, like tampons and maxi pads where they were on sale. Yeah. And I'm like, I'll just buy like my, my usual one, my one bag, my one box. Yeah. And then my friend was like, you're not going to stop getting your period for like 20 fucking years. Like buy the extra. It's on sales. Buy one, get one free. Right. Turn me into a full vampire. Give me the rest <laughs> of that jug of blood. <laughs> Let me drink that jug of blood. Bite me on the fucking neck. Do whatever you got to do. But I don't want to live... In this half zone, right? But no, he's like, oh, I'm content to just like float up to the ceiling and smash my face and be a dick to my mom. God, <laughs> Michael, Michael, peer pressure's outside your window, Michael, 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 Michael. Oh my goodness! So the other key figure in this movie we gotta talk about is Grandpa. Oh lord, because Grandpa's on one. First of all, he's an amateur taxidermist, which I love.
0: I love that. Yeah.
1: And he shows his love through taxidermy, like by gifting Sam (laughs) things that he does not want every morning when he wakes up. Grandpa has a shelf in the fridge that is labeled Old Fart. It's where he keeps his root beer and nobody else is allowed to use it. He wears a bandana like, you know, he's Willie Nelson going on tour any minute now. And Grandpa is a little bit wild in this movie, but he has the best line in the movie, which is the last line. Oh, my the movie. God. Totally. So I appreciate Grandpa a lot. Yeah. But basically what we're dealing with is a mom who's trying to go on a date with Ed Herman. Rest in peace, King. With Max. <laughs> Her boss. And the boss. And it keeps getting fucked up because they're like, you know, the kids, you know, Sam Sam and the Frog Brothers are like, we need to figure out if this guy's a vampire. Everyone seems to be a vampire. Let's just figure this shit out. They try these tests. Doesn't work. He's not the vamp they need. They figure out that you have to kill the main vamp to turn everyone back into normal humans. Again, don't agree with this mythology change. Don't agree with this. That's not how it works. But they're trying to figure this shit out. So this whole movie revolves around the video store. Because mom's trying to date Max. And you know what? I think I'm going to spoil this movie. Should I just do it?
0: Listen, this movie is so
1: old. (laughs) It's so Ah. ridiculous. If you don't want to know what's going to happen coming up, just use that 30 second fast forward button until you feel safe. Yes. Until you hear Millie's voice again. Yes. Because essentially they kill David. David. The kids succeed. They do their whole, we got a whole montage of like the garlic bath and the holy water and all that shit and them steak staking people. Mm-hmm. They kill David thinking he's the leader. So now everyone's going to turn back, but it doesn't work. Michael's still a vamp. And then they realize when Max comes over with his mom, it's Max who is the main vamp. Ultimate and he's twist. Been, ultimate twist. Fuckboy Nation is on full display. I'm only dating you to turn you into a mother for my vampire children (laughs) because I saw your sweetness in front of my video store. (laughs) Ultimate Vampire Nation, Fuckboy Nation. This is where they meet. So because Max is the main guy, Grandpa then has to kind of step in and kill him. Mm -hmm. Like there's this whole big... I don't ruin that part. There is a whole big ending, um, but Max dies. And then Michael becomes Michael again. And the little kid becomes a little kid again. And star, I don't know. Star just like spins a few times into the atmosphere and turns into dust. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what could possibly happen to these people after this, but <laughs> it is, it is a video store centric movie because the video store owner and the video store where the mom works that allows these children to be out in these streets like this. It's crucial to the plot.
0: I mean, listen, we, we said at the beginning that this movie is fun as fuck, but it's dumb. <laughs> and this part is what makes it dumb for me. is the Scooby-Doo moment of Max being the ultimate baddie. Like, Max Thank you. is the fucking final boss.
1: Exactly. And the entire time you think it's going to be Kiefer, but it's not, it's Max. Imagine, just imagine this movie because Corey Haim has an incredible line in this film also that I kind of wish he was able to level at Max in some way at some point. So Corey Haim's very upset. He just found out that Michael is a vampire and he's stomping up the steps and he says, my own brother, a goddamn shit sucking vampire. Just imagine saying that to a stepparent in your tween rage. Well, and also, what are your thoughts on there
0: being sort of a runner in the film, which is that they play cry little sister
1: okay. every time some vampire shit happens? I mean, if you again, this is where I feel like these vampires have bad taste. If you had your chance to pick your vampire walk up music. <laughs> Are you choosing cry little sister? Are you like going to choose some fucking Rachmaninoff or some diabolical shit? You're not going to have some creepy little kid like thou shalt not kill. Give me like, dun, 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 dun. like, give me a guitar. Give me sax guy. Give me something. Your walk up music as a vampire cannot be the lilting voice of a creepy little kid.
0: Oh, my God. I I just this is the moment where I really thought this movie was just so over the top. Like, I was just like, I mean, <laughs> in <it's>, the beginning. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, it's a lot. This movie is I mean, it is so extra in so many ways, but just this idea that that song kicks in anytime Jason Patrick is faced with some sort of vampire thing. And it's just so goth and ridiculous. Like, I mean, honestly, The Lost Boys as a film is probably one of the most goth fucking movies ever, l- beloved by goth knights all over the world. Yes. And for that reason alone, it makes it fun. It's a fun movie completely that has the worst ending ever. <laughs> and, like, and the worst vampire turns ever. The worst vampire turns. No one speaks about the fact that they fucking trashed this grandpa's house. Like the entire <laughs> house has been decimated by the time this, this- film is over.
1: This is a man who does not want you to take a single root beer off of his shelf in the fridge, but he's going to drive his own truck through his house at the end of it. (laughs) That is, this is where we mind meld all over the place because whenever I see a movie where some place has been trashed, my first thought is who's going to fucking clean that up. Exactly.
0: Exactly. I cannot
1: suspend disbelief in a messy scene in a movie. Oh
0: my God.
1: Like, gummo makes my skin crawl.
0: Oh, completely. That's a movie we got to talk about on this podcast oh, for sure. Yes, but.
1: we do. But yeah, this is like Cry Little Sister. I feel like, okay, what, what's what's your vampire walk-up mo- oh, music? Lord. And it better be Garth Brooks. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it's um, Neon Moon by Brooks and Dunn.
1: <laughs> the late fees cost more than the rental because you should not have to become a vampire to fit in <laughs> in your new beach town.
0: And the guy that runs the video store is literally... The most evil person to ever live. So,
1: like I said, it's got too much power. Oh my Gamekeeper. God. Gatekeeper.
0: I just have to thank you once again for picking this movie, forcing <laughs> me to watch it in a current phase of my life because honestly, I just, it was just a totally different experience. Super yes. fun movie to watch. It makes. Not a lick of sense at the end of the day, but you know what? It's, it's totally fine. It, it's so great. And
1: I, I did not realize I was going to be this hyper about this movie. When we were talking, I feel so hyper right Dude. now. It's like, I'm drinking a diet Coke and talking <laughs> about the lost boys. My heart rate has never been higher. Well,
0: l- let me just tell you, the tone is now going to shift a little bit.
1: <laughs> yes. Bring it down before it collapse. <laughs> <laughs>
0: We have a a second movie about a video store way less high key than what we just talked about, but ultimately a great movie. It's a great film. Yes. All right. So my movie for the theme of the late fees cost more than the rental is a movie from 1996. It was directed by Cheryl Dunier and it's called the watermelon woman.
1: You know, it's a uh, two for one Monday through Thursday.
0: Really? Yeah. I'm having a hard time deciding. What do you think? Cleopatra Jones, Jason's Lyric, or my personal best? Well, right off the bat, all right, I just want to talk about the director of the Watermelon Woman, Cheryl Dunier. So yes. just to give you a little background, she is of African and African-American descent. She was born in Liberia. She was raised in Philadelphia. And she's made a lot of short films and narrative features. She's directed lots of TV. She's acted, produced. She's been an editor. She's written. She's made movies for, you know, bigger studios. She's made independent films. She just has an incredible career. And in The Watermelon Woman, the movie has the distinction of being the first feature-length film that was made by like an out- black lesbian and you know we've talked about these pioneers of black cinema before like in our older episodes we've talked about kathleen collins and bill gunn and melvin van peebles and in fact the name the watermelon woman is a take on the watermelon man which is a movie that melvin van peebles made and we we briefly talked about it in Episode ten, when we talked about Sweet Sweetback's badass song. But in addition to that distinction of of this movie being the first feature length film made by a out black lesbian, this film is also kind of part of this. Um, movement that was called the New Queer Cinema in the 90s. And there's a film critic named B. Ruby Rich who kind of came up with the term. And it was basically a way to describe the influx of queer filmmaking that was happening in the 90s. And, you know, by and large, these movies were in the spirit of sort of the independent film movement of the nineties, but they were really kind of doing something else. They were experimenting, they were experimenting with and sort of challenging the notions of this like monolithic queer experience. Right. And these are movies that were being made by people like Todd Haynes and Derek Jarman and Greg Araki Gus Van Sant, you know, Jenny Livingston, who was the director of that documentary, Paris is Burning, which I think we've talked about on this podcast before. And, you know, the movies that were produced by Christine Vachon, who... She's a big hero of mine. She brought many great films to people in the nineties, many great independent films and the watermelon woman came along and it was really like the first movie that shined a light on the black lesbian experience, which really wasn't addressed very much before in film. And it, you know, I think it really kind of interrogated a lot about black women in classic Hollywood, Black culture in like the early to mid twentieth century, and just sort of mm. those gaps in black historical preservation, even in academia, right? Yes. so, um, I'll give a one sentence synopsis of the watermelon woman. So a black lesbian filmmaker slash videographer slash video store employee who was living in Philadelphia begins a quest to search for a lost Black classic Hollywood actor named Faye Richards while also navigating life
1: and love. Oh, that's a great one sentence enough.:
0: Thank you so much. I worked on that. I was like, I'm going <laughs> to write a good one this time. It's really good.
1: I love it. Thank
0: you. So, okay, the Watermelon Woman stars the director, Cheryl Dunier. She's a woman named Cheryl... Um, she's the filmmaker that I just mentioned, and she spends her days working at a video store in Philadelphia with her best friend and business partner, Tamira, who is played by Valerie Walker. Who I love me fucking too. I love <laughs> Tamara so much. So the two, the two of them have this like videographer business where they like go shoot videos for weddings and you know other kind of events and stuff. But they also work together at this video store. Which I have to say, this is a video store owned by a black man and primarily
1: staffed by lesbians, which is like, what a fucking world. Timothy Chalamet could never, as (laughs) my favorite person is fond of saying.
0: (laughs) I mean, I'm just like, imagine a world where a black man owns a popular video store and it's only staffed by lesbians. This is great, right? Yes. So, right off the bat, okay, I was having intense feelings about this video
1: store oh same i don't know what it was but i'm i cannot wait to hear your oh my god
0: it was like okay first of all it was like all vhs right pre pre dvd i I didn't at least i didn't see a dvd on the wall i could be wrong nope but people were renting vhs which i love they were taking credit card payments with those old
1: timey carbon receipt machine things That's the first thing that sent me back. That sent me because I remember using those at my first job. Yeah. And God forbid you didn't press down hard enough. Someone is walking out of this toy store with a briar horse that they are not paying for because I don't know the last four digits of your card because I gave up and I didn't press down hard enough.
0: (laughs) And do you remember... I, I worked in a restaurant where we were we were taking credit card payments with those machines. And I remember the question, always having to ask a question. Do I'm going to tear up your carbons? Like it was that thing were like, yes. you can either give it to somebody or you could just tear it up in front of them. And I'm always like, that is a thing that no one ever does anymore. Right.
1: Ever. And nor should they, because that was some shit <laughs> to be like, now I have to go home with the smudged hands and serve food with the smudged hands because you don't want your carbons. i'm still keyed up i can't help it
0: i mean it's just like such processes of old that no one ever like a 20 year old is like what are you talking about this is like a (laughs) foreign language to me i'm like yeah there was a time where we had to make carbon copies of credit cards and we had to tear up the shit because people were afraid of like credit card
1: fraud or whatever (laughs) so dumb and also just to make it a little bit sweeter the machine weighed like 20 pounds oh my god
0: oh my god Insane, insane. The other thing, too, was that people were giving out seven digit phone numbers. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, this is a fucking world. Welcome to our
1: childhood, people. Jesus. Also, the special order. Oh. When she said, not only the special order, and I'm sure we'll get into it, but the special order scam.
0: Oh my god. I so let's talk about it right now. Because basically. Okay. Basically, the next part of this movie is that Cheryl, she gets a shipment at the store of films from this actor that she's obsessed with, Faye Richards, right? Whom she calls the watermelon woman. And already I'm like, special ordering VHS tapes. Bring me the fuck back to my childhood, please.
1: (laughs) Waiting weeks to see if they could even get it. And then more
0: weeks to get it. Oh, my God. I mean... Listen, the video store really, I cannot stress enough how formative it was for me, but just this like, it was like, oh, I'm going to go to the video store and they're going to special order something that they don't have in stock for me. It was like the moment of like confirmation that you were a person of this world, that you had good taste. It was the same thing at the record store, by the way, the record store would also order special order you things and they would call you when it came in. Oh my God. I just like. Love it. Love it. Love it. Okay. So basically Cheryl gets a shipment of Faye Richards films. Now Faye Richards does not actually exist in real life. Right. Right. But she is reminiscent of black actors like Hattie McDaniel and Louise Beavers and butterfly McQueen who were actual real people working in classic Hollywood. And Cheryl's in the film, Cheryl's favorite movie that Faye Richards stars in is called plantation memories. Which basically stars Faye in this stereotypical, quote unquote, black mammy role, right? Which most of these real life actors like Hattie McDaniel performed in this Mm -hmm. era in Hollywood, right? So it's obvious that, you know, Cheryl is trying to figure out who these women were. And, you know, as a filmmaker, she's trying to like understand like why these great, women were put in such crappy roles. Right. Right. And shortly after Cheryl gets these videos, she starts this video project documentary to find out more about the watermelon woman, Faye Richards. And there, so now begins this sort of like movie in a movie aspect of the film, which I think is so fresh and so great. I love it. Yeah, me too. I mean, we're checking in with Cheryl's real life, which includes, like, hanging out with Tamara and her girlfriend, going on bad dates, flirting with customers at her video store, including this woman named Diana, who is this kind of, like, artistic white woman who moves from Chicago to Philadelphia and... And interspersed with that, we're getting pieces of the documentary that Cheryl's making about Faye, and she's interviewing, like, Black historians who knew Faye and worked with her. And at some point, Cheryl finds out through a series of interviews that Faye worked closely with this white female director named Martha Page, who, again, Martha Page is not a real person, but... I saw as kind of this like she's kind of like a Dorothy Arzner type or something. She's she was basically like an early classic Hollywood female white director. okay. and Cheryl discovers that Faye possibly had a romantic relationship with Martha, despite the fact that an interracial lesbian relationship in like the 1930s would not been happening
1: in that era. Right. I love this. I love the discovery part of this film. Like, I think that what she does so well, what Cheryl Dunye Dunye does so well is to layer in how difficult it was to find people who were preserving this kind of history through this narrative of looking for this actor. Yeah. Like, I just, I love, I love that.
0: Yeah. And you know, and, and I, what I think is great is that she is she's created a fictional universe of these characters that are representing real people in the world. Right. And yes. she's kind of making her own story. So it's kind of like a mockumentary or, or a fake documentary, um, which has been a long tradition of in f- cinema forever. But, you know, she's also kind of like communicating the bigger points, right. That she wants to make, yes. which is, you know, all about sort of black culture and, and, and black roles in classic Hollywood. Right. So, so, Meanwhile, while this is happening, while her documentary is being made, Cheryl and Diana start dating. And I should say that the woman who plays Diana is Guinevere Turner who is also herself a great lesbian filmmaker, she's an actor, she's a writer, she wrote and acted in Go Fish and American Psycho. Uh, she wrote The Notorious Betty Page, where Gretchen Maul plays Betty Page. And she's been in like lots of film and TV. But these moments of of seeing this lesbian relationship play out, seeing the like, world that Cheryl is in in Philadelphia is I mean, there's just so much to this movie that I love these little moments of, you know, sort of her living her life is it was great because it was it's the 90s and I grew up in the 90s. And I just to me, I just appreciated seeing this like there was just in this movie, this big intersection of like black Mm. culture, lesbian and queer culture, independent film culture, academia, women's studies, lesbian bars queer bookstores queer activism you know the video store i mean it was just sort of like all of these things coming together And it really was like a,
1: a really amazing kind of time capsule for this era right i agree and i think i completely agree with that and i think that's one of the things that i've only seen this movie for the first time within the last few years mm-hmm. um but it's really it's really important to talk about it from that historical point of view. And I think that there's a character in the movie that um, Cheryl is interviewing and she says, you know, make our history before we're dead and gone because there's this knowledge that Cheryl, who, again, this is where I think using the video store and videography is a great, and fresh take because she's using this new method of media to tell these old and soon to be forgotten stories because once people are dead the stories are going with them like she finds that one woman who was like oh yeah like i knew i knew the watermelon woman that was but she called herself that when she was trying to get into film i knew her as faye richards and like i knew her as this singer and she kind of tells this history that would have been not tracked anywhere Throughout time. So it's so jarring and crucial to see a movie in the nineties set in these beautiful worlds of blackness and queerness and using new media to preserve that oldness. It just really hit me hard.
0: Yeah. Because you got to know, I mean, in a pre-internet era, I mean, it was just incredibly hard to archive things at the rate that we do this now. And I mean, there's still huge gaps, even In the digital era, there's still huge sections of culture of any culture that are missing because there hasn't been preservation work or there just hasn't been, you know, the right kind of access, the right people to get in there and really make sense of it. So it's kind of like it really hit me, too, in this era of like, yeah, if you didn't talk to the people and put them on a videotape it was gone. Like it was really not, it didn't exist. And the part of the video store to me, Oh my God. I just this, my favorite part of this movie, or one of my favorite parts in this movie is when Cheryl is actually working in the video store and she is recommending a double feature to Diana in the video store. Now this is when they're still kind of like talking and they haven't started fully dating it, but they're just kind of like feeling each other out. Okay. Which is like, okay, come on. We we have a podcast where we recommend double features every damn oh week. God. So what is not to love about this scene?
1: And the movies that she picks. Oh
0: my god. I must talk about them. First, okay, first of all, the one thing I will say is there's like these little <laughs> reveals. Now, I remember when we were talking to Karina Longworth a couple episodes ago about how she would like show boyfriends kiss me stupid and it was just sort of yes. like, if you like this movie then we can date. If you don't, we cannot. And just that whole concept came flooding <laughs> back in the scene because Cheryl is going around recommending movies to Diana. And Diana's <laughs> like, I hate Sissy Spacek, which I was like, shocked by that. Uh, I was like, you hate Sissy Spacek? What? <laughs> um, but of course, she, she claims it's because she's Brinks too skinny. It's <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> OK you got a point there i guess right i don't know uh
1: that's how she's trying to flirt
0: she's trying to flirt. she's trying to flirt right that's you just gotta pull out pull out the information that you can but cheryl ultimately recommends (laughs) a double feature of repulsion and cleopatra jones (laughs) which is like what a fucking night in if you ask me
1: Right. Oh, that is so I mean, you're definitely coming back to talk to that person <laughs> if they recommended those two movies to you. That was a solid move on her part across the board. Oh, my
0: God. I mean, just the best. And you know what? Though This whole scene, it just reminded me of being so in addition to the kind of video store recommendation era. Right. Just of like of that whole thing. It just reminded me of being like a young person and the notion of being attracted to good taste. Right. Yes. And also wanting to let everybody know that you had good taste. Right. Yes. But this is, you're doing it in a pre-internet era where essentially you had to do shit like work in video stores and record stores and you had to hang out all day to try to talk
1: to people. Otherwise, your friend's gonna try to set you up on a blind double date <laughs> with Yvette, Yvette, who
0: I love. Try to pull so out the much. mini Ripperton, and it's like it ain't working.
1: <laughs> Making bold choices, none of them are landing. I mean, but I agree. Like this yeah. is this movie, and it, especially in this viewing, it really made me remember what it was like to fall in love with someone based on a shared interest yeah. or passion or just kind of like finding things out about someone. Cause nowadays I feel like it's very easy if you want to, to know everything about someone before you even yeah. go out on your first date. Yeah. And this is more of like, like the discovery of of love that I really liked in this movie.
0: Well, and also too, I mean, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that good taste doesn't matter anymore to me as an older person. I'm not saying that necessarily, but I also feel like it doesn't it just was so much of everything when I was a young person that I was like, yeah. oh, I don't care if this guy is a fuck boy or has, you know, like a hundred red flags. He likes repulsion and Cleopatra Jones right. or whatever. You know, it was just that thing where I was like, I'll bypass all of the actual shit that matters. And I just want to, you know, focus it on the movies that he likes and the, and, and, the, and the music that he likes or whomever, whoever it is. And the
1: fun stuff, yeah.
0: yeah. Even friendship. I mean, it doesn't, it's not even just relationships, but it's like friendship, you know what I mean? It's like- Oh, yeah. And I just, that to me was, I think, it was a heartwarming part of this movie for me. It was just seeing that sort of video store interaction, you know? And I don't know. I mean, there's just so many other good little- parts of this movie there's so many good cameos in it like camille paglia is in this movie
1: cheryl dunier's real life mom is in this movie um camille paglia shows up in a scene that is so hilariously camille paglia because she basically is talking about how black scholars are wrong about the use of a certain word or like, oh, yeah, this black like that's what we need is Camille Paglia telling people like, you know, oh, you're black. You're a black scholar. Well, you're wrong about how you think about this. I just her energy sometimes uh, is like,
0: oh, yeah, I just was like, OK, I, I she's setting up a premise here. And yes, you know, but I you know, like I said, Cheryl Dunier's real life mom is in it. And mm-hmm. um I don't know if any but like. The late writer David Rakoff is in this oh. movie. He plays a librarian, and I when I saw him, I was like, "Oh my god, this is so wonderful!"
1: Right? So excited. I had I did not remember that he was in this movie. Yeah.
0: Oh, totally. And um, I because once you see him and you hear him talk, you are like, "Oh, that's definitely him." Um, but it's just listen. This movie is such a treasure. If you are fond of independent film of the 1990s as I am, if you grew up in the 90s and you. I, it's just will bring back so many feelings. I mean, mm-hmm. slam poetry nights, fucking like whatever you got, it's it's here for you and I just really appreciate this film. I mean, it's like it's so unique. It's just so well made and it's doing so much while also being like really heartwarming and entertaining and interesting. So it's like it's such a great movie. Really? I'm just so glad that it exists. <laughs>
1: i am too i'm so glad you picked it too and it's it's i can see why because this is like if if video stores were part of what formed your identity as it is now like this movie bridges the gap between i'm going to this dark cafe with my feather pen to write millie (laughs) and and be in be in the city as an artist millie and the like i'm actually a working artist millie (laughs) I love that this bridges that gap and I think it's like it's so fun and it's so lighthearted but you're right she's doing so much work and so much important work and there's one thing that stuns me about this movie that is maybe a weird thing to be stunned by but if you're watching the opening credits the opening credits list all the people that helped get this film made Mm -hmm. and it goes on for a while like a while. And it reminded me of the conversation we had um, where we were talking about how Black filmmakers had to work so hard to be considered auteurs and to have their work kind of venerated in any way, whereas, you know, that we don't see the same thing with, you know, a white filmmaker can make one movie, one indie movie, and be plucked out of, you know, obscurity into a career and they're directing Star Wars, next thing you know. absolutely, And like, that doesn't happen. So when I saw that, that list of like how many people had to come together to make this movie happen. It was just really touching. Yeah. It just was really touching at the beginning of that, that film.
0: Totally. And you know, as, and as is with most people who were making independent movies in the nineties and before, I mean, it is like you really, it takes a village. Like her family is in the movie. Her friends are in the movie. You know, it's just sort of that thing where like, you don't get to just make your first feature film and have, bankable Hollywood stars, you know, with a budget and
1: distribution, you know, you're not getting Tim Capello. Yeah, exactly.
0: It's going to cost you to get Tim, but uh, you know, as a movie about a video store, it just brought back so many memories. And this whole episode has been so fun. So fun. I will say for the record that I did have so many late fees that did cost more than the actual movie Many many times, and
1: is this before or after you worked there? Oh,
0: this was before, and ma- so maybe you weren't clearing
1: I, your own late fees. Yeah,
0: actually, I had my—I actually forgot to return a videotape at the store that I eventually worked at, and had my membership ripped up in front of me. <gasps> and pay, oh, and paid and paid fifty dollars for a copy of Suburbia nineteen ninety seven. On VHS. Oh,
1: damn. Yeah.
0: I was shamed at the video store that I later worked at. So there we
1: go. <laughs> this is the other thing about the late fees that I think, I don't know, I think this is pretty standard across the board. You would return your movie and then you wouldn't find out about the late fee until the next time you went to rent a movie.
0: Oh, yeah. Of course.
1: So you'd go to rent a movie and they'd be like, okay, the movie's you know 3.99 and your late fees are, and you're like, oh shit. So if you have a family account, and let's say Carol, your grandmother, wants to rent Nightmare on Elm Street and she has to pay $20 for it because <laughs> you have forgotten to return Gleaming the Cube. She ain't letting you rent on her account anymore. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so that shit didn't play in my house. Shit.
0: The, the, the video store was kind if they called you to tell you that a rental was late. Like sometimes you would Thank get you. a phone call be like, oh, by the way, like Gleaming the Cube is seven days late. But a lot of these video stores are like, nope, it's going to be a complete surprise and shock to this person when they come in the next time.
1: (laughs) It's either going to be the bread and butter of this store every time somebody pays or we're going to hemorrhage customers.
0: (laughs) Oh, my God. So this was so much fun. Yes. Well, do you want to tell the folks what the movies are for next week?
1: Actually, no show next week, but there is going to be a bonus episode on Thursday and we're going to be digging into the mailbag. Mm. So send us your questions. When did you fall asleep (laughs) during a a, a wild movie? (laughs) And then the following week, our next new episode will be on August 24th. And our movies are Pain and Glory from 2019. And Old Boyfriends from 1979. So you have a couple of weeks to watch those films.
0: Oh, my God. What is the theme? Try to guess
1: what it. What is it? <laughs> and it's not volcanoes.
0: <laughs> volcanoes. Um, well, listen, if you want to email us, we're at I saw what you did pod at gmail.com.
1: You can find us on our social media. We're at I saw pod on Instagram and Twitter. And Instagram is a great place to try to guess the theme.
0: That's right. We also have merch, by the way. Uh the shirts are super comfortable. Get that fall gear ready. You know, we got some sweatshirts and some sweatpants, uh or joggers if you're cool. Um, but we're in the exactly right shop at exactlyrightmedia.com.
1: Get ready to layer. And we we get this question quite a bit, so I'm surprised. Um, that some people don't know this, but our bonus episodes only live on Stitcher Premium. Mm -hmm. So you have to subscribe to Stitcher Premium if you want to hear the bonus content, which you do. And you can use promo code SAW for a free month.
0: Yes, that's right. To get into it. They're gold. But listen, Danielle, as always, it was a fucking pleasure.
1: A blast. Yes. You made me want to go and fall asleep in a movie theater next to you. (laughs)
0: Well, you made me want to become a half vampire. So,
1: here's <laughs> some blood clink, clink. <laughs> See you next Bye. time. Bye. <laughs> this has been an Exactly Right production. Our producer is Alexis Amorosi, our engineer is Annalise Nelson, our theme songs by Tom Bryfogle, artwork by Garrett Ross. Our executive producers are Georgia Hardstart, Karen Kilgareth, and Danielle Kramer. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at isawpod. Email us at I saw what you did pod at gmail. And please don't forget to listen, subscribe, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen.